Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the channel that compares what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. All right, so when I was doing the daily podcast, there was a metaphor that I used, and it, it, this was especially true of the emergent church movement. Do you all remember those guys? Some of you have probably never even heard of Doug Jones, Brian McLaren, uh, 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 sorry, Tony Jones, Doug Paget, Brian McLaren, uh, you know, uh, the people like that. Have you, you, does that ring a bell for some of you? Saying they're going, no, never heard of them. Yeah, that would the back in the day they were like the uh, the uh, heretics du jour, the heretics of the day. And what I noted about the uh, emergent church movement was that as certain of their leaders, their thought leaders, the, the, they as they became disreputable, long in the tooth, uh, people were getting tired of them. What the emergent church would do was like field a whole new team. It was like baseball. So, you know, you know, if you, I'm a, I'm an avid baseball fan. I follow the Los Angeles Dodgers, grew up as a Dodgers fan. It's hard being a Dodger fan, by the way, in North Dakota. I'm, I'm just saying, I wish there was an easier way to do it. But uh, it's, alas, the, the only thing we have here in North Dakota is like minor league ball. And I think the closest one is like Fargo. Forget it. I, I'm not doing it. But uh, all of that being said, that, that I noted that they would field a whole new shiny team. You know, so Tony Jones and Doug Paget kind of fell by the wayside, and out, out came Rachel Held Evans and a few others. And then when they kind of fell by the wayside, then they fielded a whole new team. Well, something's happening in the charismatic NAR movements, and and I'm using these terms very loosely, very broadly. I'm not being theologically specific here. I'm just describing those people generally known to claim that they are filled with the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues, and operate in signs and wonders, even though they don't. And uh, what I'm noting is, is that uh, there is a there is a, a change going on. Uh, you stick your finger into the wind. The old guard, they're starting to fall away. And there's a new group, a new shiny group of false teachers and wolves coming up through the ranks that uh, people are starting to pay attention to. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at one of the fellows that you need to mark and avoid, and one of the fellows who's going to begin making very regular appearances on Fighting for the Faith, because I consider this guy to be not only slick, he's dangerous, and I mean legitimately dangerous as a false teacher. So let me whirl up the desktop. Hold on a second here. And uh, this was one of my uh, <clears throat> driving while, uh, uh, actually, I wasn't driving angry on this one. I was out doing pastoral visitations, and uh, and I always bring my camera with me when I out and when I travel. So I was visiting my shut-ins uh, to bring them the Lord's Supper, to pray with them and, and fellowship with them. And, uh, and we had just had a big round of something called Horfrost, H-O-A-R-F-R-O-S-T, Horfrost. And it was just sticking to all the trees and stuff like that. So I stopped and I took several photographs and this was one of the ones that turned out. In fact, let me, let me do this. Um, this is the photograph, the composition in, in its entirety. It's hard to see the whole thing because I'm I'm covering it up. So yeah, the thing I love about this photo, by the way, is that it, it, the the sky and the snow are kind of taken on the same light color of blue, and and the uh, the hoarfrost is making the trees almost look like they're glowing. <clears throat> Alas, but that's not why we're here. <laughs> Here, here. Uh, so coming back. All right. So we're here to talk about this guy, David Digga 
Hernandez, David Digga Hernandez. He is an up and comer. He is social media savvy like you wouldn't believe, knows how to work the YouTube algorithm. At, at the time we're recording this, he still has less than a million subscribers, but not much less. Uh, 836,000 subscribers. And this guy is a slick false teacher. I mean, slick. He is extremely dangerous. And the thing is, he's young. He's, 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 he doesn't quite behave the same way like Cat Kerr and some of the whacker doodles within the, uh, the charismatic movement. And as a result of it, he, he has a, he, let's say he has some better chops. He's a little bit more believable, but the theology and his Bible twisting, holy smokes. I've been spending better part of a month kind of familiarizing myself with this fellow. And I got to tell you, like I said, he's going to be making way more appearances on Fighting for the Faith in the future. Him and Isaiah Saldivar and others are going to be making more appearances because I consider them to be very, very dangerous, especially with a following of 836,000 subscribers. This guy does not teach sound biblical doctrine at all. So you'll, you'll note that just looking at it's like some of his teachings, okay, Holy Spirit impartation, spiritual transfer clearly explained. Holy Spirit impartation's not a thing, okay? How to sense the Spirit. Are, are Christians now Jedi? I mean, just, just looking at some of the names of these things, how to hear him. This is a, a teaching I may do a, a review on just because this one requires, uh, you know, so from time to time, regularly dealing with the false teaching along these lines. Surrender to the Holy Spirit. I surrender, I surrender, right? Uh, things like this. I mean, it's absolutely bonkers, some of the doctrines that he's putting out there. And the thing is, is that he's aware of false teachers, but he does not seem to understand that he's one of them. So what we're going to do, we're going to take, we're going to start off with kind of like easy steps with him. We're going to look at a portion of a teaching titled, How to Activate Your Prophetic Gift. And I'm just going to ask you right off the bat, where in the Bible does it talk about uh, activating uh, prophetic gifts? There are, there are no prophetic gift activations in the scripture. So already you could tell by the title, we're going to be off the reservation, but I'll explain to you how do you biblically address, how do you discern something like this as being a false teaching? I'll explain it in a minute. And then while, while we're at it, we're going to throw in one of his YouTube shorts because this guy is uh, has learned how to master the art of putting out uh, sh uh, short YouTube videos. In fact, we can say he's got a good short game. See what I did there? Golf reference, in, in case you're wondering. So, um, and in, in this short, he's going to ask, is a wrong prophet a false prophet? And wait till you see how he twists up the scripture on this. It's, this guy is really, and I mean really dangerous. So, let's take a look at this teaching of his, how to activate your prophetic gift. And before we even do that, we're going to open up the Bible do a little fact-checking ahead of time. And I'm going to ask you a quick question, and that is this. Um, you know, uh, do all prophesy? Do all have the gift of prophecy? Let's, for a moment, just take a hypothetical uh, stance. We're going to say, okay, well, for the sake of argument, agree that there potentially are pro true prophets on planet Earth today. 
Now, I don't believe that, but let's, for the sake of argument, just assume that there are true prophets on planet Earth today. That being the case, uh, how did they receive the gift of prophecy and who has it? Like, what percentage of the body of Christ? Answer, not a, not a very large percentage. Even if it, if it were still a going thing, not many would have it. So here's, here's how I would argue it. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse. No one can say Jesus is Lord except for by the Holy Spirit. And now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, watch this, for the common good. The purpose of God giving spiritual gifts in the church is for the building up of the body of Christ. It is for the common good of the church. And so, to one is given the spirit of utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, to another according to the same spirit, uh, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, and another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by the one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So you'll note that when we read 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is making a case for a variety of gifts, not a uniformity of gifts, a variety of gifts for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. And so different gifts to different people, and then he gives the big metaphor. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit you were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And that's the point, right? What kind of human being would you be if you had you know, 10 thumbs. Pretty bizarre one, right? And you had no arms, but you had 10 thumbs. What if you had a hundred ears and no arms and no legs and no mouth and things like that, but you had a hundred ears? You wouldn't really be a human body, right? You wouldn't, you, you wouldn't be a human in the truest sense. So note that God has apportioned in the church a variety of gifts so that he can fill out a body of members, right? If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So if the whole body were an eye, watch his argument, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be, right? But as it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. Who's in charge of distributing gifts in the church? God is. You don't get to pick, right? If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. 
the eye cannot say to the hand, well, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, well, I, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts, well, they're treated with greater modesty, uh, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. One member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now watch what he says here. Now, you are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of it, as God appointed in the church. Okay, God has appointed this, right, in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of languages, tongues. And then he asks the question, are all apostles? No. May pontus apostoloi, I always keep pointing this out, the may here in Greek is untranslated, and when may shows up in a question, it means that the question has to be answered in the negative. May pontus apostoloi, are all apostles? No, me pantes prophetai, are all prophets. No. Uh-huh. Uh, do, uh, <laughs> are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. The answer to all these questions is no. So already we've got a problem. I haven't even hit the play button. And we've there's a theological disconnect between this video and what the scripture says about the gifts of the Spirit. If prophecy were an ongoing thing, we're assuming for the sake of argument for this video that it is, um, prophetic activation is not nowhere mentioned in scripture. Nowhere. That being the case, note he's universally talking to everybody how to activate your prophetic gift. But in Scripture, it says that God is the one who gives these gifts. He's the one who appoints them and who gets them. So why would I assume that I have a prophetic gift that's sitting latent, that's not really working until I activate it? So how to activate your prophetic gift? And here are four keys. Hmm. And that's the, the, the next part here. The fact that he's teaching there are four keys to activating your prophetic gift, dead giveaway he's a false teacher. And I'll explain why in a minute. But let's hear this out, because I haven't even hit the play button yet. Let's hear some of this out. In a world where opinions and philosophies and ideas are flying at us from all different directions, through all different means, from all different people, God sends the prophetic to come as a loud clear, direct disruption to the noise, and it stands above it all. It's like that light, like the script. <laughs> what? <laughs> He's never played Prophecy Bingo. Clearly never played Prophecy Bingo. We... <laughs> It's like a light shining in the dark place. That's the power of the prophetic. 1 Corinthians 13, 9, now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. Sometimes people will use that verse to justify incoherent, nonsensical, or illogical prophetic words. But the right, which is, the, which is exactly what every prophetic word is. Mm -hmm. That's right. We play prophecy bingo here. I've never seen a prophetic word that isn't that. Prophetic will always be clear, and though we prophesy in part, at least that part we prophesy will be clear. So yeah, you may not give 
the whole picture. But the piece of the picture that you do give is not going to be blurry. That picture will be clear, though it may not be complete. So again, let's not get so far into justifying these types of prophecies. Just because the Bible says we prophesy in part doesn't mean we should prophesy incoherently. The word now, note, this is part of the reason why I think David Diga Hernandez is as dangerous as I claim he is, because he's aware of the nonsense that's taking place in the name of prophecy within the charismatic movement in the NAR. And he is a, he's, he's addressing it. See, he, he doesn't believe that, that people who say that you're going to have a suddenly and, and, and that Chuck Pierce are actually pro prophesying. He's offering some kind of a rebuke. Uh, I, I understand that he is at least attempting to do that. But the solution he's offering is not the biblical one either. Be careful tells us that, that the prophecy is clear. The word of God is always clear. Hebrews 4.12, and I'm not comparing, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying prophecy is equal to the more sure word of prophecy, which is the word, but here's how God speaks. Oh man. <laughs> Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is alive and powerful, living and active, right? These prophetic words from these so-called prophets today, they are not the words of God. The source is not God's word. Again, uh, we'll put up, let's see here, we'll put a link, yep, over here, we'll put a little link to uh, our uh, video that we did a while back on what are the biblical tests to tell whether or not somebody's a true prophet or a false prophet, and uh, if you haven't watched that, you need to watch it. It's an important video, and I know it's long, but it's an intentionally long to give you an in-depth look at how you test to see whether or not the source of a prophecy is God or something else. So here he's twisting up the word. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 is not talking about um, uh, prophetic words. It's talking about scripture. The word of God is living and active, talking about the scripture. It's sharper than a two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. But no, despite his... His, uh, his caveat at the beginning, well, I, I'm not saying that uh, prophetic words are, 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 are equal with the word of God. What was his words again? Let's see here. Let's take Though a look. it may not be complete. So again, let's not get so far into justifying these types of prophecies. Just uh -huh. because the Bible says we prophesy in part doesn't mean we should prophesy incoherently. The word tells us that, that the prophecy is clear. The word of God is always clear. Hebrews 4.12, and I'm not comparing, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying prophecy is equal to the more sure word of prophecy, which is the word, but here's how. Why wouldn't it be? Prophecy is equal to. Why wouldn't it be? If God is the source of today's prophecies, why wouldn't it be living and active and powerful and equal with scripture? If God has spoken, it doesn't matter who he's spoken to or where he's spoken or when, if God speaks, when he speaks, it is living and active and on par with all of scripture. So know what he's doing here. This is slick. How God speaks. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. There's a lot to unpack there, but I love this. The word of God cuts between soul and spirit. What does that mean? It means it helps you distinguish between what is actually of the Holy Spirit and your connection with God and what is of your mind, what is of your emotions, what is of your own thoughts, what is of your own paradigms, what is of your own influence from the exterior. It separates spirit and soul. It separates the voice of the Holy Spirit from your emotions. It separates. That's not what Hebrews 4.12 says. 
Again, the reference to Hebrews 4.12 is the written word of God. Separates the voice of the Holy Spirit from your cluttered thought life. It separates the voice of the Holy Spirit from world. So note, he's twisting Hebrews 4.12 pretty good. Only philosophies that have influenced you from the outside in. The word of God is clear. It's clear. Specific. specific. It doesn't cause confusion. You've never played Prophecy Bingo, have you? It brings forth a clear message. This is why we must remember that clarity in the prophetic is so key. Why do you have to remember that clarity in the prophetic is key? If God were really speaking through today's prophets, their prophetic words would be clear. And it would be obvious that what they are speaking has its source and origin in the one true God. But they don't. So you can have a focus on clarity all you want. But at the end of the day, God is not the one speaking through today's prophets. When it comes to prophetic ministry, maybe you feel called to the prophetic gift. Maybe you feel called to the office of the prophet, or maybe you just want to really honor and- There is no one filling the office of prophet today. Experience prophetic ministry in your life from those around you. I'm gonna show you how to activate the prophetic right now. Number- <laughs> How to activate the prophetic right now. Okay, here's how you do it. It's four easy keys. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to show you what the keys are, and I'm going to do this by opening up the uh, the info on this video because he's done us all a favor, and that is is that he's timestamped the different portions where he teaches on the different things. So here are the four keys to activate your prophetic gift. One, exercise the gift. In other words, fake it till you make it. Two, speak in tongues. Not everybody has the gift of tongues. Me pantas la lucen glosa? No, and not all speak in tongues. Study the word and then meditate on the word. So you sit there and go, all right, so how do you know right off the bat that you're dealing with a false teaching by seeing something like this? Here's the idea. In order for a doctrine to be biblical, it has to legitimately be clearly taught in Scripture. And, and there has to be a clear passage that says these things. So, for instance, okay, um, let's, let's, let, me, let me give you an example. We are going to look for a portion of Scripture, and we're going to look for the phrase, Great God. All right, hang on a second here, and I need to open up my search. We're going to look in the epistles. And we're going to look for a great God. And let's see, let's see. I'm going to put the put a little bit of quotes around it to minimize. Here we go. All right, so here's what I mean. I, I'm going to come off of that tab for just a minute. So you believe that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh, right? I believe that too. However, in order for that to be a true doctrine, there needs, there needs to be passages that clearly say Jesus is God. So let me give you one of them, okay? And it is found in Titus chapter 2, and we're going we're gonna to back up to verse 11, so we apply the three rules for sound biblical exegesis, context, context, and context. And here's what it says. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Oh, look at that. You have a clear text that legitimately says that Jesus is God, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? So that's an example of you have to have, in order for doctrine to be biblical, you have to actually have a clear text that teaches it. So here we have a text that teaches that Jesus is our great God and Savior. And, and indeed, he is. Let me give you another example. In the Gospel of John, chapter 20, at one of the resurrection appearances, Jesus talks to Thomas because Thomas wasn't there the first time. And Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I see, you know, put my hand in the nail prints and things like that. I'm not going to believe he's raised from the dead. So on the eighth day, eight days later, the following Sunday after Easter Sunday, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Thomas said to Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. Now that actually jives with what we just read in Titus, that Jesus is our great God and Savior. Thomas says he's his Lord and his God. And so now we have two texts that clearly teach that Jesus is God, God, the God of the Old Testament in human flesh. That's the point. So in order for a doctrine to be biblical, it has to be clearly taught in scripture, unambiguously, out in the open, clear text. So let me do a search here, okay? I'm going to look for activate, okay? Um, so when I look for activate, it says the book activate cannot be found. Well, okay, let me, let me change it. I'm going to look for flex. I'm going to look for the word activate and I'm going to use a flex search that so we can, and we're going to search not the epistles, we're going to search all of the Bible activate. Hmm. There is not a single book of the Bible, not one passage that teaches anything that even remotely uses the word activate. Hmm. Okay, let's all right, let's take a look for keys then. All right, we're going to look we're going to look for keys, okay? All right, so let's see here. I'm doing a flex search. I'm looking at all of Scripture, and they took the key and opened uh, and opened them, and there lay the Lord dead on the floor. So that's talking about an actual key. Hmm. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David, Isaiah 22, Matthew 16. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Okay. Uh, Woe to the lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. And then all the way to the book of Revelation. And the living one, I died, and behold, I live forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. And the angel of, of, uh, to the church of Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, to, who opens and no one will shut. Huh, that was interesting. Then we got Revelation 9. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. That's not talking about activation keys. And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. Hmm. Well, we've got a problem. Okay, remember the name of the video. The name of the video is How to Activate Your Prophetic Gift for Keys. But 
there is nothing in the Bible that says anything about activation or prophetic activation. The word activate doesn't even show up in the scripture at all. From all of the Bible, from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, there's not a single mention of prophetic activation or activation of any kind. Hmm, that's a problem. And then when it comes to the four keys, nowhere in scripture are four keys mentioned for prophetic activation. So note here, his teaching here, here are the four keys on how you can activate your prophetic gift. And I can already tell without listening to a single word of this sermon or this message, the whole thing is made up. Not one bit of it's biblical. Okay, nowhere in scripture does it say in order to activate your prophetic gift, you need to exercise the gift, you need to speak in tongues, you need to study the word, and you need to meditate on the word. Because there's no text that talks about prophetic activation at all, let alone these four, ta- four keys. If this were biblical, you could go to a book like 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 9, all right? And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 9, you would find here are the four keys to activate a prophetic gift. And when somebody is seeking to have prophecy, have them do these four things so they can activate their prophetic gift. It would say it like that. So note, nowhere in Scripture does it say anything about prophetic activation. Nowhere in Scripture are four keys mentioned to prophetic activation. And so we're off to the races. We've definitively proven, just by listening to two minutes and 41 seconds of this fellow, that he is a false teacher. And what this is not a biblical doctrine at all. This is a man-made mythological doctrine, okay? So let's, let's, let me back this up, how to activate your prophetic gift, and listen in as he then tries to explain all of this. For one, exercise the gift. I wrote this, expressing your gift is important so that you can learn to discern between what is and what is not the voice of God. The person who... Why would I need to discern what is and what is not the voice of God? Like, seriously... What kind of deity do you believe in where God can speak to you and you go, uh, I'm not sure if that's God or not. Okay. I mean, what kind of lame deity do you believe in? Hi, this is the Holy Spirit. And, uh, Uh, I assure you that I am not a bad piece of pepperoni that you had on that cold pizza that you ate this morning. I'm really trying to talk to you right now. So I need you to just practice your prophetic gift, exercise it so that you can become more familiar with my voice. This is absurd. Okay? When God talks, we're talking about the God who spoke the universe into existence in six days with his voice. Read Genesis 1. In the beginning, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'et ha'eretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and the spirit of the Ruach Elohim was merakafeting. He was hovering, brooding over the waters of the deep, over the Tehom. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Right? The universe didn't sit there and go, um, 
uh, was that you talking, God? I, um, I'm not really, you, you want me to light up? Um, I, I'm not sure if that was you or not, right? How absurd is it to believe that you have to somehow learn how to distinguish between God's voice and last night's undigested sardines? It doesn't make a sense. It, it lick a sense at all, all right? And nowhere in scripture are we taught this. This is totally extra biblical. Just imagines they know what everyone is thinking or going through, will never be corrected when wrong, and will therefore continue to imagine that they are accurate. So there's some people who, they don't want to prophesy because they don't want to find out that they've been inaccurate all the time, right? They just want to live in that imaginative world. I know what people are thinking. Oh, I know people's motives. Oh, I have discernment. And they never want to speak these things aloud specifically and clearly for fear that they would be corrected. But we have to get over that pride and ego if we're ever going to learn how to truly prophesy. Exercise that <laughs> so practice, fake it till you make it. You, and, and you get over that fear of being wrong. Here's the thing. Every single false prophecy you speak, you are guilty of breaking the commandment that says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Wow. Now watch what he does with Hebrews 5 here. Because this, this doesn't teach the things he just taught. Gift. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teacher. In other words, you should be teaching, but you have to have others teach you. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Are you using the King James in order to bamboozle these people into thinking that this text has anything to do with what you're talking about? So let's throw a little more fact-checking into the mix, shall we? And we are going to go to Hebrews 5. And just ask yourself a question. Does Hebrews 5 teach us the importance in the prophetic to learn the difference between the voice of God and our, our own inner thoughts? Is that what this text is talking about? So the three rules for sound biblical exegesis are context, context, and context, okay? So we're going to back up just a little bit, okay? And let's, let's just start at verse 1. Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. What's going on here? Paul is writing a correct, I don't know, this was, I'm sorry, this isn't Paul. Paul didn't write Hebrews. Um, we're not sure who wrote this. Whoever wrote Hebrews is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, correcting a bunch of people who were genetically Jewish, who had become Christians and were wanting to head back into Judaism. Okay, And so he's pointing out that the Old Testament is type and shadow. So he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. No one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son today, I have begotten you. And as he says also in another place, you are a priest forever in the older 
order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, talking about the Bible, since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish between good and and evil. Right. And how do we learn how to distinguish between good and evil? By becoming skilled in the word of righteousness in the Bible. So this text isn't saying what he's trying to make it say here. He's twisting another passage of scripture. Watch this now. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. How do you exercise? How do you put into practice? How do you strengthen those spiritual senses? It says right here. It doesn't talk about strengthening spiritual senses. It's talking about becoming skilled in the word of righteousness, the word of God. That's what that's what the author of Hebrews is getting. By reason of use. So. No, by reason of what use? No, 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 no. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. So note how he hijacked Hebrews 5 to make it about a prophetic activation by learning, you become skilled by using your prophetic gift. Hebrews 5 isn't about that at all. Wow, this guy has no conscience. He's willing to hijack any text to make it say what he wants it to say. And uh, I would give you another example of that here. And let me let me... Brace yourself for this short. Like I said, his short game is on point, but this is this is d- demonic. Listen to this. Is a wrong prophet a false prophet? Yes. <laughs> a wrong prophet is a false prophet. Okay, let's take a look at the text in question. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Okay. Deuteronomy 18. Here's what it says. Um, the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Okay? So, in the Old Testament, in the theocracy of Israel, if you speak, you say something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, the penalty was what? Death. You died. Okay? You were stoned to death. And if you say in your heart, well, how may we know the word that Yahweh has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of Yahweh, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that Yahweh has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Okay, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. See verse 20. What do you do with him then? He is to be executed as a blasphemer. He's blasphemed God right? So the question, is a wrong prophet a false prophet? Deuteronomy 18.22, if the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, 
you will know that the Lord did not give that message. That prophet right. has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. A, the Bible still calls him a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the prophet has spoken presumptuously. He shall die. You just skipped verse 20. Okay. <laughs> so he's sitting there. Well, the Bible still calls him a prophet. So that means he's a prophet, right? No, it means he's a false prophet. And in the Old Testament, he's to die. In the New Testament, you mark and avoid. Wow. B, this is an Old Testament standard. No, it's not. The standard is still the same. And, and, and I mean this, okay? The standard has not changed. So let's take a look at a biblical text from the New Testament. First John chapter four, Hang on, I gotta spell it correctly. First John chapter four, verse one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. The standard is the same. You must test the source. Is God the one speaking or not, okay? And that's the New Testament, okay? So when you go back to Deuteronomy 18, how may we know the word that Yahweh has not spoken? The, the test is still the same. You've got to determine the source. That's the whole point of, of the video that we did, the extended teaching on how do you test the prophets, okay? And so note, when somebody gives a false prophecy, they say something's gonna happen and it doesn't happen, okay? If the word does not come to pass, that is a word Yahweh has not spoken. God didn't speak it. You know then that they're a false prophet. But watch what Digga does here. But consider that even in the Old Testament, we see Nathan giving King David God's approval to build the temple. That wasn't accurate. Nathan didn't say, thus saith the Lord, when he gave approval. He basically said, yeah, that sounds like a great idea, David. The Lord will be with you for sure. The Lord is with you in your endeavor. Nathan did not give a false prophecy. I mean, it's absolutely blasphemous to accuse Nathan of giving a false prophecy. Wow. And the old prophet who lied in 1 Kings 13, 18 was still called a prophet. A false prophet. He was a deceiver and it resulted in someone's death. And in the New Testament, when we compare what the Spirit told Paul in Acts 20, with what the believers prophesied in Acts 21, 4, we see a contradiction. No, we do not. Wow. So the Bible condemns false prophets, but also gives grace for the true prophets who make mistakes. <laughs> you get the idea here. I mean, this is, I mean, Tell this me your is, thoughts in this, the comments. This is, hang on a second. I want, I, the thing I hate about these short videos is you can't, you know, fast forward through them on YouTube and just drop your playhead any way you want. Wow. So this guy is a, twist, a twister of scripture in ways I, I, I have not seen anybody this brazen before. This, this new breed of false teacher, these social media guys, you know, the, uh, Isaiah Saldivar and uh, David Digger Hernandez and others, brazen in their twisting of scriptures, brazen. All right, so let's let's kind of let's let's take a look then here. He's saying you got to exercise the gift. Let's look at it, number two, the second key. Apparently, the second key, although although none of these keys are listed in scripture, uh, if you want to activate your prophetic gift, you got to speak in tongues. Number two. 
believe it or not, speaking in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, 2-4. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. In uh, yeah, again, you seem to have skipped over the fact that uh, 1 Corinthians 12 makes it clear that not all have the gift of tongues. Tongues is not a universal gift given. Okay, here we go again. Are all apostles? May Pontus apostoloi? No. May Pontus prophetai? Are all prophets? No. May Pontus didascaloi? Are all teachers? No. May Pontus dunamis? Do all work miracles? No. May Pontus charismata exusin yamaton? Uh, do all possess gift of healing? No. May Pontus glosas lalusin? Do all in tongues speak? No. Yeah, I, I think you get the idea. This Mark and avoid this man. Mark and avoid him altogether. This is somebody that is going to lead you to hearing voices that are not the voice of God. And those voices are going to lead you on the road to hell itself. David Diga Hernandez is dangerous and like demonically so. He has no conscience when it comes to hijacking biblical texts, twisting them to say things that they don't say, and legitimately undoing clear passages of scripture to evacuate them of what they say. So uh, hopefully you found this helpful. If you know anybody that's into David Diga Hernandez, send him this video and warn them. This man is a demonstrable false teacher and a dangerous, dangerous one at that. So hopefully you found this helpful. If so, all the information on how you can share the video is down below in the description. And until next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.